0: Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, Attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Here's Attorney CPA Joe Cordell.
1: Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. Uh, Continuing what really has been a series, and we found really the the things that we do on this show that are the most popular to you, it turns out, not surprisingly, that they often involve the lives and the misadventures, the mistakes and whatnot of famous people, successful people. So I think that that is a marvelous learning device. So we stick with it, and there is a lot of opportunity for us to not only find this interesting, even entertaining, but also to make mental notes of the things that that you could do differently, even though. These mistakes often are made by people who are often very wealthy, but still the principles that underlie these mistakes are applicable to all of us. It's just that it may appear, it may in fact be more catastrophic in, in financial terms, uh, but the human cost, when you look at the impacts on families and whatnot of failing to plan, it's it's the same at all levels. So with that perspective, this week we're going to talk about somebody by the name of Joe Robbie. Now, I'm. some of you are thinking, who's Joe Robbie? And others are thinking, what, he has to tell us who Joe Robbie is? So we're gonna assume that some of you don't know who he is, huge figure in sports, but I'm going to hand it to Marley to sort of give us an overhead. We'll talk through a little bit of an introduction of him.
2: Yeah, so Joseph Robbie was an American attorney, um, politician, and he was actually the principal founder of the Miami Dolphins. Um, he founded them in 1966 as part of the American Football League expansion, um, which the American Football League went on to become the National Football League football league that we know today.
1: Yeah, they merged in 1970. 70,
2: yeah. that's correct. Um, and he partnered with head coach John Shula, and they actually, the Dolphins secured two consecutive Super Bowl titles and the only all-famous perfect season of 1972.
1: This is a perfect (laughs) season in football. I had to be sure that that meant what I thought it meant. I confess I'm not a a football uh, pundit, but apparently it means you don't lose not only any games in the regular season, you don't lose any games in the playoff season. So, that's that is impressive. As a matter of fact, it's never been done before. Yeah, has it? no, not since. Um,
2: not since. There's been some teams that have had perfect um, seasons, but not in the playoffs or anything like that. But this was, you know, every single game they they didn't lose yep. at all.
1: It's never been done before. So this guy, I mean, with the Miami Dolphins, those of us who who are old enough may remember how big the Miami Dolphins were. I mean, they were. They were just this juggernaut in pro football, and consistently were among. They went to the Super Bowl twice, but they were in the Orange Bowl for like ten, eleven, twelve seasons, yeah. and and they were just um, a hugely popular team and a hugely successful team. Uh, Ditka was he the he was the coach
2: um, Shula Shula
1: yeah yep. Shula. So it, those of you who know the name Don Shula, I mean he was so
2: big yeah.
1: And he was a minor owner, I think, just a very, mm-hmm. he very He had small... a part
2: in it. Um, I think that Joe Robbie, you know, he founded it and he funded some of it, but Don Shula came in and funded the rest and was head coach.
1: Yeah. So in the city of Miami and even in, in Florida, I would say, um, he's a legend. And even though that the stadium was later, and we'll talk about this, but the stadium was later sold and it was, became the. Uh, Hard Rock rock Stadium. Hard
2: Rock Stadium, yep.
1: Hard Rock Stadium. And now many people in Florida have continued and refused to call it anything Mm -hmm. else but the Joe Robbie Stadium, which is what it was originally.
0: Strong roots are essential for a healthy tree, especially your family tree. That's why you work hard to take care of your family every day. At Tucker Allen, we know
1: that taking care of your family means planning for the future. Our team provides personalized estate planning to help you protect your family, your legacy, and your future. From wills and trusts to long-term care and estate planning, count on Tucker Allen, personalized estate planning made simple. So, um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about some of the things he did. So he acquired this football team. Yeah, and then he he has to build, chooses to build a stadium.
2: Yeah. So the um, first twenty-one seasons that the Dolphins had, they played at the Orange Bowl in Miami, Florida, um, which is actually where the Joe Robbie Stadium is also. And then in 1976, the city of Miami, who owned that stadium approached Joe and they were like, hey, we're quadrupling your rent because you're so popular, you're making so much money, you know, we can do that to you. And so Joe was like, I, you know, I don't really want to do that. And he had been playing around with the idea of building a stadium to begin with. Um, and so now he was uh, all set to do that and wanted to go forward with that plan. So he found some land and he found a place to do it. And he was actually um, the first privately owned multi-purpose stadium in the United States.
1: So he funded it himself. Yes, and this is a massive, beautiful stadium in oh, use yeah. today. The yeah. same Stadium. It's I
2: massive. Um, it was. I mean, it was a multi million dollar complex. Um, he put up everything he owned, his dolphins, and he borrowed against future ticket sales, um, which is kind of you know iffy because you're borrowing against like if this is going to work or not. Um, but yeah, a lot has been played at that stadium. Really, they they went from the Orange Bowl and moved everything over there, and it was a huge success.
1: So uh, he was he was a risk taker, but but he was an innovator. And now we think of large stadiums as being this this partnership between a city or some governmental entity where they put up some of the money, and then you have the private sector put up some of the money. You'll sell uh, PSLs, mm-hmm. which is what we did the Rams. I mean, there are, there are gimmicks today or or techniques by which somebody can avoid paying out of pocket. You know the cost of a ma- of a stadium of this magnitude. And I'm sure in today's dollars it would have been like a billion bucks. So much. Um, so he really did. Um, he innovated and he showed the way for other professional teams in many ways. Um, he helped uh, uh, coordinate this merger between the AFL and the NFL that we now take for granted, but you know that didn't occur till 1970. So and a couple things too about his background. He, uh, he was from South Dakota, and I think, as you mentioned, he became a lawyer. He went to the University of South Dakota. So you wonder, how does he get from being this lawyer in South Dakota to owning this, this magnificent team in Miami? And he gets there by way of, he apparently had some clients who were South Dakota clients, but they also had Washington offices, so he's working in Washington. And he ends up being the general counsel for the AFL. So this would have been pre-1966, because he buys the team in 66, and the team is in the AFL at the time. So he he develops these contacts and these understandings of how pro football works, and he has the vision to see that this will someday be, well, what it has become. And so he managed to acquire this team through his contacts and financing and whatnot, so he's just an all-around impressive guy, and, and people in Florida have nothing but respect for him. I would say people throughout sports uh, in, in professional football. So now let's talk about his estate planning. So he, he did estate planning. So this is not a case where, oh, a guy is rich and, and doesn't <laughs> do anything, Soon he'll live forever, whatever they're thinking. This is a case where he did estate planning, but it was very humdrum meaning that it was entirely unimaginative. Um, It was something that would have been okay if he were just a typical person. Mm Uh, but I think that he simply had a trust and a will.
2: Yes, that's correct. Um, he didn't really have anything beyond that, nothing that detailed. I mean, it detailed where um, like his share of the Dolphins went and so on and so forth, but not really anything to do you know, to um, get out of way of estate planning taxes or anything like that. And I just don't think that he ever realized how big any of the stadium or the Miami Dolphins would become. Um, I, like you were talking about his history, he grew up really poor, um, his dad was an immigrant and his mom was the daughter of immigrants. So they never really had much money. And then going into um, you know law school, everything. And even then he didn't have much money until he came into the stadium and the Miami Dolphins.
1: Yeah. So it does seem a little surprising that a lawyer would not think through this, but I think you're right. I think his background, even though he'd gone to law school, mm-hmm. I think he was kind of you know, wowed to some extent by by things. He was very pleased with with these transactions, I'm sure. Um, and he just didn't give the time and attention to state planning that he should have. I think he was very consumed in the moment. And he probably didn't think that he would die as soon as he did because he was only in his...
2: He was only 73.
1: 73. So I started to say late 60s, but 73 is still young, even yeah. in the 90s. And so... Um, I think that he didn't see himself dying at that age. I th- let, I'd like to think that if he had lived longer, he'd have thought, look, I need a much more sophisticated plan. So really, the estate plan he had is something that you could have as estate plan, which for many of you, I'll assume you're not in his position, is a magnificent plan, meaning it, he had a, a revocable trust, mm-hmm. which can do a lot of stuff, uh, not some of the stuff he needed, but it can do a lot of stuff. It can certainly head off family issues. It can control money. It can provide for the needs of family, multi-generational, still give you a lot, all the control you want during your lifetime. Then he had it backed up with a pour over will, which again, good device for 98% of us uh, if you have it in conjunction with the revocable trust. But that was what he did. And, and so he really, he could have gotten this estate planning done for um, say, Twenty five hundred to three thousand dollars in today's dollars. Um, So it's the sort of thing that you would expect anybody who was doing concerned about their estate and had and accumulated a reasonable amount of assets. You'd expect them to pay that. But but for the sort of planning that that he did, and I'll use today's dollars to make the point. uh, You would expect you would happily, and I use the word happily because it accomplishes so much. He 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 should have spent around. By contrast to the twenty five hundred dollars I'm talking about now, he should have spent around thirty thousand, twenty five to thirty. And those of you who are thinking, "Whoa, that's a lot of money," not if you sit down and look for a few minutes at the amount of money that that he could have saved here. So this will make more sense to you as we walk this through. So he goes ahead and and does this planning. Um, he goes about his life. I don't know how many years this was done before he died.
2: Uh, I couldn't find that either. I think, obviously, it was before he opened the stadium. Because, I mean, he only died six years, because it was open in 87s, uh, and he died, yeah, about like
1: yeah, not six, long six or afterwards.
2: so years, yeah, um, yeah, of the stadium being open. So.
1: so what what complicated this, though, this scenario, is that, yeah, there was a lot of debt and there was overhead associated with this you know, with this vision that he had of building the stadium himself. He had arranged for some co-ownership, but the point is it was all private money. And and even though he didn't own 100% of the stadium, still it was a, it was a joint venture in which there was going to be some negative cash flow for a while. In other words, it wasn't going to make money for a while. It was a great plan long term, but in the short term it wasn't going to generate the sort of profits that he hoped for. The problem with this plan, though, was that he died, meaning that if he had lived, you know, he could have he would have made the necessary cutbacks. The family would not have been in a position to say we want more money, we want more cash flow. You know, he things would have been tight, uh, but he would have been able to make the moves to get him through the period because we all know what lay ahead, and it was this golden era of owning ownership of an NFL team. We know the value of those teams and how quickly the values went up. Um, so he just needed to hang on a little longer. He needed to live longer and he didn't. So suddenly you have a series of events that are not uncommon when somebody dies. So let's kind of set the stage up for, um, for at the time of his death, he had a number of children and these children were kind of participating in various ways with the stadium as well, right? Yeah,
2: um, so he had nine. Um, From what I know, Mike Robbie was the general manager, and, um, you know, eventually we'll get into this, but he went on, um, and some of the siblings actually fired him from that position. Um, But they all had kind of an interest in the stadium, especially after he died, because um, he owned that 50% of it, and that was passed down.
1: So, but prior to his death, they were Several of family members were involved, mm-hmm. including his wife, Elizabeth.
2: Yes, that's and, correct.
1: And she was a first wife, I think.
2: um, she was the second. I believe he was married only once, or excuse me. Of course, he was married only once before, but I believe he was only married for a couple of years. Um He had, I believe, two children out of that, two of whom died. Um, and then they went on to have all of their other children,
1: so there were nine children, I think, alive when he died.
2: That's correct.
1: so maybe, maybe one or even two of those could have been from the first marriage. We don't know which two died. Um,
2: I believe the two from the first marriage died. Both of them had died. Yes, so he had 11 kids altogether. I believe it was stated that one from his and Elizabeth's marriage died, and then the two from his previous marriage died.
1: Okay, wow. All right, so big family. Um, I'm sure things were not perfect, but the point is he had things under control, Mm -hmm. so he dies. He has a trust. He names uh, three of the children, three boys.
2: Um, two boys and one girl, Tim, Janet, and Dan.
1: Okay. They're the trustees of this. What was a revocable trust? So when when he dies, of course, the trust becomes irrevocable. The problem is that the assets are in the estate. So the assets you know, were to go, were to be put into the trust through what's called the pour over will. Uh, Those of you who watch this show at all or have been had some estate planning done, you know what that is. A pour-over will is a very simple will. It says, I want all any stuff that wasn't in my trust when I died, I want you to put it in my trust now. So that's all a pour-over will is. Uh, Ideally, nothing would go through probate because everything would be already in the trust. Remember, if it's already in the trust, it doesn't go to probate. Well, in this case, uh, it did. Go to probate. It wasn't in the trust, and um, this this produced a problem that is very common for people. I won't say rich and poor. I'll say rich and middle class, meaning anybody who can own a business, even a small business, and that's that. Sometimes assets, such as a business or, and sometimes a a piece of real estate, will be. 80 to 90% of the value of the entire estate. Mm-hmm. And that was what happened here, wasn't it? Yeah. So talk about these two assets that represented 90-plus percent of the estate.
2: Yeah, so it was obviously the Dolphins football team and the stadium. Um, they were were illiquid assets, so not, you know, tons of cash flow. But the way that his um, estate plan was set up was that it was going to take care of his wife, Elizabeth, and the beneficiaries. And from what I read, um, Elizabeth was still getting around 300000 a year from all of that, um, even without tons of cash flow, but she still wanted her 30 percent. And I'll let you speak more on that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, that 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 is the problem is uh this is a very common plan that that someone will have a provision that look, I want my assets to be held and the income paid out until the death of my spouse, my surviving spouse. So my surviving spouse needs income, so I want him or her to have all of my all the income from these assets, these one or two big assets. And then after my spouse dies, then I want the asset. It can be sold if it needs to be, but in any case, it's divided among all the children, whether it's the income or it's the asset sold and the proceeds divided. People do it different ways. And and then you establish trustees, of course, who are really making the final decisions. For example, whether an asset is sold uh, or not uh, after the death of the surviving spouse. But the idea is that, that the asset is held this important asset, often a business is regarded that way, is to be held and then all the profits paid out to the spouse, not the children, the spouse, and then then, uh, when he or she dies, then to the kids. So that's a good plan, except in this case, because of these recent moves that had been made to fund the building of this stadium, this huge undertaking uh, that had great promise, remember, down the road, uh, but no one to shepherd it through this period. So Elizabeth was not going to get any money. I mean, I'm sure she got some, but apparently it, it by the formula that was in the trust, it was not going to produce much money for her. Mm. So we have a problem. The surviving spouse would have to lower his or her lifestyle, or in some cases, the surviving spouse wants to raise their lifestyle, uh, which is that's understandable. I'm not critical of that at all. But, but in this case, though, clearly, these investments, huge promise, but they it would take a few years. And she wanted money now because she was getting old. So she decides to do something that Florida law permits. And at the time, law around the country would permit. And that's called taking an elective share. So taking an elective share is the right of any spouse to do. Today, it's the right of any spouse to do. So it means that if you decide that you're gonna disinherit your spouse, well, there are limits to how well you can do that. And, and this is a very popular law. It's been around a long time. Some cases, you can take 50%. But, but the idea is that you cannot choose to disinherit entirely your spouse. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't have to give your spouse everything, but you can't you know give her nothing. So in this case, everything was going into the trust. So even though there's a provision that she was to get income, from these assets to the trust, well, it doesn't change the law. The law says that, that she has a right to claim 30% of the assets. She'd be getting none of the assets. Put aside the income, she'd be getting none of the assets going into the trust. So even though you know, she was provided for by Joe in a way that, that is normally a very common technique, according to the law, it technically meant that, that she had the right to assert her elective share, which she did and she said, I want income, so I'm going to take 30%. And that meant 30% of the asset. And that meant probably that in order to accomplish this, there would have to be a sale of assets. Not to mention, it triggered uh, taxes being due much sooner than they would otherwise have been due. So uh, ballpark on the value of this estate, I think after debts they originally thought it was like 80 million.
2: Um that's correct. I believe it was around 78 to 80 million, yes. Yeah.
1: So 80 million bucks. Well, it turns out that the taxes came to 47 million. Mm-hmm. All in. So 47 million. And that means that there was no way to hang on to those assets. Even if the kids could have worked out something to give Elizabeth enough income, it just wasn't going to prevent this this huge debacle with the taxes. So the taxes are due in nine months, not nine years, nine months. So nine months from the day to death. So this produced a crisis, and this is very common. Again, you don't have to be rich to be in this position. If you own a business, if you own a nice piece of real estate, An expensive piece of real estate, a home, a a family farm. Very common family farms, because people, you know, it's been in the family for generations. So, in this case, sadly, um, they had to rush to sell the assets. The family did. Uh, The guy who came in and bought both of them uh, was uh, the guy from Blockbuster. Who ends Um,
2: up? Yes, that's correct.
1: uh, Who in? Huzinga.
2: Huzinga. And he was also bringing um, the Major League Baseball to Florida as
1: yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. So we know Huzinga, the story blockbuster. <laughs> so his future wasn't too good. But um, but one thing, though, that that we can be sure is he got an incredible bargain. Mm-hmm. So here's let me let you step behind the curtain as to other bad aspects once you start going off this cliff I'm describing is when Elizabeth decided that she wants to force this sale, she announced that she's going to do an elective share. So that means those assets that she takes are no longer subject to the will, to the the uh, revocable trust, as well as the pour over will that was in place before. Normally, that pour over will and the revocable trust are put in place by husband and wife. And i I I'm sure. I don't know this is a fact. I'm willing to bet that 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 they were both involved in this estate planning. Uh, so it means that 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 whenever he he passed away, he thought that he had provided a plan that was going to be good for the children and Elizabeth and they're all going to live by that plan. But but because it was done as poorly as it done as it was done when Elizabeth decided that she was going to take her elective share, then then that 30% was taken out of the original estate plan. So whatever, you know, I'm sure they talked about before which kids were to get it, presumably all the kids equally, well suddenly the kids were put in a position of those who agreed with this tactic of Elizabeth taking out of the, the their plan that the family had had in place. Probably Elizabeth too had had the original plan in place. So she's decided to take this 30 percent. So you had kids who aligned on either side of that dispute. So it breaks this family apart where there's lengthy litigation. Kids, as you might imagine, are not talking to each other, probably are not to this day. Yeah. So it was it was this very ugly, expensive litigation, and it all was just consuming money that they didn't have enough anyway. Not to mention it triggered taxes sooner than they should have been triggered. So it's like they're fighting over a corpse, so to speak. By the corpse, I'm not talking about Joe. I'm talking about this what was this valuable, wonderful estate with this huge future, and now. It, because of the taxes, because of the, the, the expenses and, and other things that had gone on in terms of the, the family relationships. I'm sure there's a backstory.
2: Yeah, there was some stuff that I read that didn't say, you know, they were the happy football family that everybody thought they were. There was a lot of drama that happened. Um, there was just some things that everybody didn't agree with. And so I think when all of this started happening, it finally, you know, like you said, broke everything down, split everyone down the middle and they took their sides.
1: Well so the 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 team ended up selling for what was it was I it about
2: believe. 70 million? Yes that's correct. So yeah, yeah they
1: didn't So yeah, somewhere in the, and that was a huge discount mm-hmm. of the real value but but one reason that it ends up selling for that number is that you end up with the family had each hired experts because they wanted to argue one side who's who the side arguing for the 30 percent they're going to do the 30 percent they had to figure out what is that number uh that the elizabeth was seeking well the people who are going to get more money the children by sticking with her even though it's 30 percent you should reward the kids who are going to be close Mm -hmm. to her so So their team, so to speak, to use a metaphor, their team, their interest was in in arguing that this asset was worth a whole lot of money so that the 30% would be a bigger number. But, But the tragedy of that is they're creating a record for the IRS. So the other team because they're wanting to minimize the value of the property thinking primarily about tax issues they would otherwise and they did argue for it to be as have as little value as possible but they also argued that because 30% was going to be pulled away so they wanted to argue that it was that that 30% was worth as little as possible so you end up with them because of their fight over this 30% division they end up arguing values and creating a record that the IRS subsequently uses testimony of experts about the value to conclude what the tax bill is going to be. Mm-hmm. And they conclude the tax bill is going to be $47 million. So, you know, now $47 million is a lot today, but you can imagine at the time in the early 90s, you know, that's a three times at least as much. So maybe four or five. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of inflation in, in some areas versus others. So, um, it, to give you a sense of the sort of bargain when this went on the auction block, meaning that these assets, there aren't many people, it's not a big market of people that can afford to buy this football team along with this complicated situation with the stadium, even though clearly it had a lot of value and it needed some more time to prove it, but there was debt uh, you know, associated with some negative cash flow. So it just was prey. It became prey. For you know somebody to come along and pick who could come up with money instantly, and and this guy did with Blockbuster, and they swoop in and buy this for this you know ridiculous amount to give you a sense of the bargain. It was sold um, like in 2010, which is not that many years later, for a billion dollars.
2: Yeah, that's correct. Um, and it's kind of crazy too because what I was reading is to sell a team you have to have 21 people of the NFL board sign off on it as well. Um, And so they had to get all of that done first. And, I mean, it wasn't a quick and easy process. So I'm sure just whoever, like you said, whoever can come up with the money first, we're going to try to get this done and try to get it approved and then move on from it.
1: Yeah, and that raises another point. I'm glad you brought that up, is it really wasn't an open market. An open market is when... You can say to the world of people who have that much money, this is what you can buy. And and that's not a big market, but the point that you made really drives it home is really the person had to have the sort of relationships to get approval from this group of millionaires. So suddenly you're down to, you know, the person they select and uh, it just no way that's what you call, you know, a, a sell on the free market. So... Anyway, it was urgent. They needed the money. Remember, nine months. Nine months is no time. And, and meanwhile, they're in the middle of this this ugly litigation. So it was just a disaster. And uh, it's sad. Families, um, during part of this, um, Elizabeth replaced some of the trustees, or some trustees got fired, and there was more lawyers involved in that. I don't know what portion of the estate was consumed in litigation, uh, but ultimately, the they, they ended up firing was it Mark that you said was general yes. manager? Yes,
2: um, Mike Robbie was Mark. the general manager, and they um, the trustees from Joe's estate because Elizabeth passed um, a, shortly after Joe, or excuse me, shortly after she filed for that thirty percent and got it. Um, so then she had the trustees, the three children trustees over her estate. He had three of the children as trustees over his and it kind of just all went back and forth. It was it yeah. was a huge mess.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that fact up too. Is uh <laughs> saddest of all, maybe, is the fact that Elizabeth dies like 3, 4 mm-hmm. years later. <sighs> so, you know, all of this mess and 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 what for, for what Elizabeth dies in 3, I think it's 3 years. It was about it?
2: 3 years later. It wasn't very long at all.
1: Uh, it's just so tragic yeah. and pointless. Here's the thing. You have to hold Joe accountable. I mean, when you assemble whatever assets you have, I mean, if you, were, if you were somebody who only owns a family farm, but it's a family farm that's important to you, maybe in part because it's been the family for years, the bottom line is it has great importance to you and your vision for your family um, or a business. Businesses, of course, are commonly regarded that way. Well, you have a solemn duty, and Joe had a solemn duty to take seriously mm-hmm. um, what he had created. He had created what could could very easily tilt from the perfect plan to the perfect storm, mm-hmm. and that's what it did. It went from this wonderful plan that would have ultimately made them all fabulously wealthy. They'd lived past 2,000 and had this plan. Play. Instead, it becomes the perfect storm. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Here's what, here's what, for example, what could have been done. There are various remedies for this, but, but one thing, one way, if you anticipate that someone is going to die, uh, with, with significant amounts of taxes and you know, there's not liquidity, like you have that business or you have, you have a uh, uh, farmland, whatever it is, then, then you can provide for that. You can go ahead and create what's called an islet. It's this irrevocable life insurance trust. The whole idea is that that even though you're old, yes, you can buy life insurance. Uh, often you buy it before you you don't wait until you're in your 80s to buy it. But but often, you know, like Joe easily could have foreseen that from the time that he was buying that that interest, say in the mid-60s, mid to later 60s. So he could have been young enough to have made some decisions, some decisions that would have allowed him to be able to have life insurance in place. And yes, the premiums are significant, but the point is you create a pot of money so that when you pass away, the money was used by the islet. It's not taxed. It's not taxable money. Mm. So it's, it, it rushes in to pay off creditors. It rushes in to pay off uh, the IRS. And, and I mentioned creditors because you can have co-owners and others, people who, people who have liens against an asset. So there's lots of reasons you want a pot of liquidity. If you're one of those people that have one or two big assets that, they, if they are sold, you want them to be sold at a very leisurely pace to to know that over a four or five year period, so that you're getting the best buyer. Mm-hmm. If even if the team had been sold at that time and the stadium, and there had been they'd been in a position to do the proper marketing. Uh, to 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 go through a substantial amount of time for people to be able to look at it. I mean, there's lots of millionaires who, you know, if they'd have been happy to have bought the team if they had had the sort of time to do due diligence that they want to do. And for an investment like that, due diligence means... A year, yes, <laughs> or two years, or three. I mean, due diligence means you take a lot of time to look at, it. and the seller knows this, and and that's the way often big transactions are done. A fire sale, a fire sale will scare off a lot of people. You may think, well, if it's a fire sale. Why would anybody buy it? It was still complicated, so it was um, it was somebody who was willing to swoop in, willing to get the approval of this board, and could make the buy. So. So had there been an islet created, that's just one point that that would have headed this off. What about the fact that the entire team could have been transferred an ownership interest into an irrevocable trust? Uh, that could have been done when the team was worth maybe $5 million. In other words – you know, whenever you do a transfer like that during your lifetime, it's it's like estate taxes. It's it's gift taxes. Gift and estate are really today it's unified taxes. So you you can give something away. If you give away hundred million dollars while you're alive, you pay gift taxes, and it's the same price as if you transfer a hundred million when you die. The gift and estate taxes are interchangeable. And while it wasn't a unified system back then, still the same idea is that you paid something. But the whole idea is that. You make the transfer of assets like that that you see a big future with, and he saw a big future. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a visionary.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, and they were winning left and right. So I, I don't, I don't know why he didn't see a, you know a big future, and he put uh, everything he owned up for that stadium. So
1: a legendary. You just yeah. raised a point. Another point is in this case, it wasn't just a football team; it's a legendary football team. Mm-hmm. So, so incidentally, maybe this is part of the reason I'm not a. I apologize to those of you who are football authorities, uh, but I imagine that none of this helped the team. So that may be the reason that Miami kind of ceased to be this powerhouse team. Yeah.
2: And they, I mean, they took all the family out of the team too. And that's, that's who the team knew. Um, And so, you know, they just kind of left them hanging with a new owner and everything new, which is just crazy for a team like that.
1: Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, I, I don't want to pick on the guy from Blockbuster because, you know, he may be a nice guy, but <laughs> I'm willing to bet that he did not understand football the way uh, Robbie did.
2: No, I mean, he was um, bringing Major League Baseball into Florida, not yeah. not football. That's a completely different sport. So yeah. I don't think he did it at all. And I mean, even if he had the coaches to back him up, that still doesn't 100% guarantee you're going to keep lead- leading that legendary team.
1: Yeah, yeah so it is and so had he for example transferred the asset into a trust at that time he would have paid very little gift taxes because the value would have been so low then that means this at the time of his death whenever it occurred there would be zero taxes owed zero mm-hmm. because he didn't own it so when, he, when you die you're only taxing what you own if you transferred it into this trust um he would be fine. Another way to do it is you can gift shares of an owner. but that's a little more tricky. If you gift shares, you don't want to gift control. Um, so he'd want to keep control, but he could have transferred ownership interest to children. You could do that and still keep control. So you'd never have to worry that because they own these interests, that somehow they're going to reach in and interfere with his, with his leadership. So you can uh, transfer ownership interest, uh, non-voting shares, for example, in your company uh, to, to your children. And and yes, there is a gift tax, but you know, the point is because they're not getting control, it's it's called a, a discount, you know, a tax discount which the IRS gives because they recognize when there's a loss of, of control of an asset, then it diminishes its value dramatically. So let's say they own a million dollar farm and you decide to give a hundred thousand dollar interest to each of your children. And let's assume incidentally this is a going concern as opposed to just uh, uh, raw land. It's a going concern. So, um, they would, they wouldn't pay. You wouldn't pay based on a hundred thousand dollar gift. You would actually pay on maybe 75, maybe 50, maybe 60. I mean, some, you get a big discount when you transfer property with a lot of limitations to it. And, And so that was another option that he had. He could have transferred interest during his lifetime. That, that could have been, I know that then the problem is you don't want them to be alienable. What that means is you don't want them to end up being part of a divorce. You don't want them to end up being transferred to somebody by the poor judgment of your children. So there are some checks you can put on that, uh, but I could go on in terms of the examples. I mean, there, was so, there were solutions Yeah. and this was so avoidable and none of us, none of us is going to live forever. So it's we're not asking too much of Joe to we're not demanding, you know, that, that he be perfectly prescient to be able to see the future. We're not expecting that at all. We're matter of fact, we're expecting of him to deal with the inevitable. Mm-hmm. You know, not to anticipate something very improbable, but to anticipate something certain. And um maybe it it he didn't have to die the year he died, but it was going to happen and I don't know what he thought how he thought that that would be paid out. Some people just assume they're going to live long enough to complete their plans.
2: But yeah, they don't. And it's crazy to me that he was even a lawyer and had all of that background and I mean, probably knew a lot of that stuff and just never yeah. never thought it completely through. It was kind of like the other stories we've seen, he just kind of threw something on paper, called it good for that day and Left it as is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He thought he, he could check that box. Mm-hmm. But, um, and he probably paid, um, you know, in, in today's dollars, he probably paid that 2,500 bucks I mentioned. It's, you know, because you wouldn't pay more than that for the simple plan that he had. Maybe they charged him more because they knew he had more money. <laughs> that does happen sometimes. Uh, but, you know, if uh, now, now when you think about what some of the things I just told you, you can see why. A person sticking with today's dollars, if if they're told that they can spend twenty five thousand dollars and have a plan like I just described mm-hmm. that would do all this cool stuff and and avoid taxes and all this stuff, it, it's such a bargain. Mm-hmm. It's such a bargain um, that that you know people who pay that for their estate planning, believe me, they walk out happy. If they don't, they should be because they've gotten probably the best investment they made. Among the best investments they've made in their career, I don't care how rich they are, is if they if they do the proper planning and pay twenty five thousand bucks for it. So for you all, many of you watching, I know are not in that category. So you're spending a lot less and and you will have in place a plan that will work beautifully for you. And and it's a comparable statement. You should be delighted with it. I'm not suggesting that you go and hug your estate law lo- playing <laughs> lawyer, but it wouldn't be a bad idea. Uh but Anyway, um, I hope this has been interesting to you. Thank you, Marley, for that wonderful research and 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 suggestion of this topic. Mm-hmm. So, till next time, this has been another episode of Life's Third Act. Take care.
0: You've been listening to life's Third Act, a podcast for thriving in retirement, sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week, we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit TuckerAllen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.